Thanks for listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a community-driven conversation highlighting individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ. Generation after generation, history has shown us that if you're born into poverty, you'll likely be in poverty as an adult. How do we pull families out of this vicious cycle of generational poverty? A local Whatcom County organization is trying to do something different, and they're getting the whole family involved. Today, my guest is David Webster. He's the Director of Early Learning and Family Services for the Opportunity Council. David, why don't you start by talking about who the Opportunity Council is and what you do? Uh, The Opportunity Council is a community action agency that's been in Whatcom County now for 53 years um, and is sort of the masthead for people in need. So we provide a lot of services in terms of emergency response for folks, including shelter and housing, um, food. Uh, We do a lot of programming around um, weatherization to help elderly stay in their homes. So there's a wide swath of things, services we do to people, primarily of low income, but others as well. In our department, the Department of Early Learning and Family Services, of course, is keenly focused on children from prenatal through age eight. Um, And our goal is to maximize the potential of every child, get all children off to a good start so that they can take advantage of the many wonderful things that we have here in Whatcom County, our school districts, um, other programs, and become future well-balanced productive citizens that Whatcom Educational Credit Union and others can hire. So um, every child matters to us and we want to make sure they all get the best that they can in the early years of life because they're so critical to their futures. Yeah, awesome. And specifically, we're talking about Project Exit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about what is Project Exit. Okay. Project Exit is, uh, as far as we know, unique in the nation. Um, it's a dual generation program, meaning we're working with the children who enrolled in our preschool services um, and with their parents. And we've done for 50 plus years Head Start, um, which is a program that began as a social development experience out of the war on poverty, um, but has since developed into sort of a comprehensive family service model where, yes, the child is getting a classroom experience um, that readies them for kindergarten, but we also work work with the families to try to stabilize those things in the family's life that would either support or be barriers to their child's progress. Um, We're a firm believer in the notion that children learn what they live. So above and beyond what we teach them in the classroom, when they leave us and go back home, uh, we want to make sure that they're returning to an environment that's as stable and supportive of their needs as possible. Project Exit grew out of that. Um, We have great results showing what our children learn and how ready they are for kindergarten once they are with us for a year or two in preschool. But we also know that their families can be struggling. Um, So oftentimes wallowing in debt, be it commercial debt or medical debt, Um, sometimes underemployment or unemployment. Um, We talk a lot about habitudes of how they work with their money uh, on a regular basis to meet their family's basic needs before other things. And so we created Project Exit to do both. Uh, One is to to build on the math we already do with kids, but uh, specifically focus on fiscal um, literacy and education. Developmentally appropriate, of course, for three and four-year-olds. 
but beginning at that very young age to distinguish what's the difference between a need and a want. Um, how do we identify what's a good value in something versus paying whatever is asked? Um, sort of the very primary thoughts for fiscal literacy for a young child. At the same time, we enroll their parents, and the parents get um, fiscal literacy education, um, both in terms of budgeting, um, tenant and landlord relations, all the things that are sort of part and parcel to many of our families' day-to-day -day existence. And in addition to that education piece, Project Exit matches those parents with a trained community volunteer. So these are folks from around Whatcom County who have stepped up to say, I'm willing to bring my professional experience and my own personal habits to as sort of guideposts for the families that are in Project Exit. They range from retired teachers, um, we have a veterinarian, we have all sorts of different professional backgrounds that step forward to be mentors. Um, and we put them through some training, of course, as well. But then they and their assigned family, they um, work together on a plan for the family to say, where are we now? Where do we want to get to? And the mentor helps guide them through that plan. Um, and the plan is developed with, like most plans are, goals and objectives. And the one difference, in addition to it being dual generation, is that we incentivize their plans with contributions from all sorts of donors. Um, we attach value to them either removing barriers or accomplishing goals on their, on their way to fiscal resiliency. So in some cases, it may be that they budget really well and eliminate X percentage of their consumer debt. Or they may finish a credential of some kind that will make them more marketable in the job market. Um, whatever is specific to that particular family. And then if they cross off, the whole idea exit, just for the listener, is spelled X hyphen IT, not exit out of the room. Um, the idea being that while we are working on exiting poverty for our families, they're crossing off those barriers and things that have kept them sort of in a status of low income. And when they do accomplish a goal or objective, then the agreed upon amount of financial incentive is put into a savings account for the parent and also um, into the child's savings account for hopefully future educational expenses for that child. We just fa finished our first cohort and we're about to start our second one. So after almost two years in the program, we have individuals who have drastically reduced their debt, improved their credit scores, finished credentials that are making them more marketable in the um, job market. Um, probably as important, we have, and we just had a recent uh, graduation sort of ceremony for them, people saying, for the first time in my life, I feel capable when it comes to my finances. I've always felt like a failure um, before, but now I have the skills and the toolbox that I can use to guide our path forward. That's awesome. Well, that is a really, really good overview of the program and where it came from and what, what you guys are doing. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but let's start at the beginning. Okay. So where did the program come from? How did the idea come up? On any day, um, especially between September and June, um, there are a little over 400 children ages 3 to 5 that we have in 25 classrooms across Whatcom County. Um, the model that they are in, whether it's Head Start program or the state-funded equivalent of Head Start, 
um, has not only instructional time in the classroom, but has always worked with the families of those children to set goals. And what we kept seeing year after year was that the families were comfortable and making decent progress on goals in their lives that were, um, you know, maybe I'll take a parenting class or I'll work with my neighbors to create a co-op for the hours when the child's not in preschool. So they could handle some of the social dynamics. But year after year, we kept seeing less than stellar data in terms of the financial situations of our families. And, and it kept coming back to bite them. It re resulted in them having to relocate too often because they would lose their housing. Um, in some cases, a parent might end up um, having to um, commit a crime because they were so desperate financially that um, they felt they had to make that very unfortunate choice um, in order to get by. Um, we had families where the relationships suffer such that the parents are so stressed by their financial conditions that it spills over into domestic violence or other things that are just hostile to the child's development. And we know from research that the first five years of a child's life are pivotal in terms of what their future is going to look like. University of Washington, Harvard, other major educational institutions have reams of science that shows how the child's brain develops in those first five years, the synapses and, and pathways for the brain to work are solidified in that first five years. When a child is born, their brain size is probably 20 to 25% of the adult brain. By the time they're five, it's over 90% of the size of the adult brain. So if we don't do good things for those children in those first five years, it can really haunt that child for a long time into the future, both educationally and in other ways. You know, we hear a lot from employers now about <clears throat> what I really need is people with good executive function. They can work well on a team, they can be relied upon, they make good judgments in the moment. And those are all the things that require a, a healthy brain and a habit of being able to do those things. And that's what we start with in, in preschool, is getting those skills developed so that they can take advantage of the rest of the educational system and be able to sustain themselves and their family someday in our community. Um, so when we, when we started Project Exit, our goal was to say, okay, we're not making enough progress with the families around their financial goals. And by, because of that, it's detracting from the good work that our teachers are doing with the child in the classroom. So we want to improve our educational outcomes by improving the financial outcomes those families have. Wow. So it all starts with the finances. Would you say that there's a lot of programs out there that are do, do, going to treat some of the, the symptoms rather than the root cause? Absolutely. Um, my background uh, includes time working in the nonprofit world in the child welfare system. So that's after a child has been removed from the home and has to be in foster care. Um, they've run away from home because of the domestic violence, whatever's going on in that home. And so I've spent a lot of years sort of in cleanup mode, if you will, because things have not gone according to plan and desperation has set in one form or another and that family in one shape or form is dissolving. The thing that gets me up to go to work every day with enthusiasm is that we're on the front end. We are preventing that. By, get, by taking those young brains and developing them well in the first five years, we're going to have far fewer children who drop out of school, far fewer children who run away from home, far fewer children that are abused because we've stabilized the families at the same time we're educating the children. And that, to me, is the ultimate solution for our community. The only way we're going to turn off the faucet on 
homelessness and child abuse and neglect and and bankruptcies and all these things is if we grow a generation of kids who are healthy from the get-go. Man. Well, that I think that is one of the most powerful messages, right? It's it's affecting a generation that was, I mean, otherwise probably could have headed down a different path. Mm-hmm. Now, talk more about that. I mean, obviously, you had you had said earlier that children learn what they live. What are some of these things that they're learning at home that affect how they approach finances later on in life, and how that kind of kind of is a is a snowball effect mm-hmm. into the rest of their life. It was interesting at the recent graduation for Project Exit. One of the parents said, "You know, I've learned a ton of skills and have a toolbox that I feel ready to do more things better than I have in the past." <clears throat> but they said the thing that's touched them the most is watching their children, who have also seen that now mom and dad are making better decisions about things. Um, and one child, you know, the oftentimes the retail gauntlet that parents have to go through on the way to the checkout counter where they have things well positioned to catch the eye of young children riding in the cart. Um, and uh, this young child who's been through our uh, literacy program as well as um, their parents through Project Exit, um, when a sibling was saying, can I have that, Mom? Can I get that? Um, this child said, now, is that a need or a want? <laughs> and uh, it, it's that kind of cultural shift in the child's head and the family's head to say, we all like to get bells and whistles in our life, um, but sometimes we have to make the tough decisions about we've got needs we've got to attend to first. And, and I think one thing that the parents have told us is that by going through Project Exit, they're much more comfortable discussing finances with their whole family. And when you're ashamed of your behavior, you're ashamed of your track record, you kind of keep it a secret. And stress may eke out in other ways, and so the children and others around you are seeing it, but not really understanding why you're so on edge today. Um, But the fact of the matter is, the more families can converse about how they're going to use their money well, it not only provides good role modeling for the children to see adults handling it in a a healthy way, um, but it makes that environment much more peaceful for that child's upbringing. Wow. I think that's a huge deal right there. The, The the family being comfortable to discuss financial matters. Because, I mean, I would argue that that's even an issue for folks that maybe even do fine with money. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I mean, as far as the things that you learn at home and how you, how your parents uh, approach spending and debt and which one did the mom or the dad do more of the budgeting and did you did you identify needs and wants? Were you constantly stressed out at the end of the month? I think a lot of these things are things that you learn and you say, well, that's just how you take care of money. And so the beautiful thing in this program is that you're not only teaching the kids, like here's how you look at money, but you're also teaching their examples. You're saying, parents, you're, you know, I can teach your kids all this stuff, but unless they see from you over the years, you making better choices, you know, that's, I can only affect half of the story. Right. And I think educators at all levels find that, that you can do a bang-up job in the classroom, but if that's not being reinforced in the other, you know, 18, 12 to 18 hours a day that that child is in another environment, um, you'll see erosion in those outcomes because... You, we have to learn things on a repetitive basis, and we have to see that it matters to somebody else that I do things a certain way. And that's what Project Exit tries to do, is to say we have now a family culture of being open about money, 
using our resources wisely, maybe talking about decisions where we can go one way or the other and what's going to be best for us long-term versus the instant gratification. Um, and we really hope that with the support of our sponsors, we can take this to a much larger scale to have that be the reality for more and more families. For the parents, they're adults. They've been living with these habits and attitudes, whatever they may be, mm -hmm. for years and years and years. And they probably saw their parents have the same habits and attitudes for years and years and years. Is that part of the reason why it's such a long program? Two years? It's not a class. It's not a month. It's not six months. It's two entire years. Is that part of the thought process? Absolutely. A, it's because we oftentimes will have a child for two years in our preschool program. So we wanted to make sure that we can do those wraparound supports for the duration of their enrollment with us. But also because we are talking habitudes. Habits, meaning how we think about things, uh, are often the traps that people fall into. I mean, it is not just an issue for families of low income. I mean, there are people throughout the strata of income in this country who face these same challenges. They just have the luxury of having a little more buffer financially, so if they make a bad uh, decision, they can recover more quickly or cover it in other ways. When you're cutting it close to the edge as a family of low income, you don't have that uh, luxury or that cushion to be able to do that. But one of the things that comes out of Project Exit is we get them to save so they are creating that cushion for the rainy days. So if they do slip up and make a bad decision, and we all do from time to time, it's not devastating to them. The habitudes that we teach are not something that only folks of low income can use. I, I often think of a former colleague, college educated, you know, reasonably well compensated. And um, he used to get to the end of the month and um, he had what he called the hat, which was literally a hat. And, you know, he'd sure he'd pay the mortgage or his rent or whatever the case might be. But things that were sort of optional bills in his mind went into the hat. And he blindly would reach in, and only one or two of them was going to get paid this month. Pull them out of the hat, and if you got pulled out of the hat, you got paid. If you were still in the hat, you didn't. Terrible habits to, to go. So it's, it's not something that, you know, everybody uh, who is of low income necessarily has. And it's also not something that just because you're a person of means, you don't have. So this kind of financial education, I think, is needed across the spectrum in America, um, and especially for young people before they develop those habits that um, get them into trouble down the road. So tell me what success looks like for this program. If, if at the end of um, your, your second round, what, what would you want to see? What does success look like? Um, we hope that we'll see even earlier results now that we've been through a year, which was the pilot year, and we're going to tweak some of our tools and approach some of the trainings a little bit differently. Um, because, it, frankly, it took a good six, nine months before some of our families felt like they got traction, they hadn't really started earning too many of their financial incentives, and that was too long. They, they need to see that making change does get you something. So I'm, I'm assuming that year two, will hit more of their goals sooner and and um, be more motivated to go on and do a bigger and better things. Uh, above and beyond the success of that second cohort, we're really hoping that we can get to the point where we can offer this to more and more of our enrolled families. Um, it's one of the criteria for getting into Head Start or our state-funded equivalent um, is financial status. So. It's primarily geared towards folks around the 100 to 130% of the federal poverty line, which is not a lot of resources in an environment that's as expensive as Whatcom County is. Um, so we'd really like to shore up the 
the financial status of all the families eventually that we uh, that we enroll, and then watch longitudinally. Does it make a difference if we can follow the kids? You know, eventually they have their own households and their own families. Are we sort of turning the tide on some of the habitudes that comes around how people finance themselves? And um, we think we will. That's an amazing thing that you can say. You know, I'm gonna we're gonna talk to the kids that were a part of that very first program. We're gonna see them when they're adults. What choices are they making, and how does that compare to their parents? And I mean, if you can show that that the work that you guys did um, is really having a lasting effect, you know that their children, if they make the improvement, their children won't be better off. And it's just uh, it's just a, a program that keeps on giving for generations. Which is the beauty of the mentoring component as well, I must say, because the the relationship that gets developed over that almost two years time together, where frankly families have to grow comfortable sort of letting people dip into their business a little bit. Um, and it builds a bond and a trust that all of our matches have said, even though the two year stint with Project Exit was coming to an end, they know they're gonna stay in touch with their mentor and rely on that mentor for advice down the road. Um, and I think that's part of the longitudinal resilience as well, is saying that you're not actively in the program anymore, but you still have, so many of our families are socially isolated, so they don't have somebody to bounce an idea off of. I'm facing a tough choice, what do I do? We're really hoping that by having that mentorship relationship, they'll have a, a, a wise counsel that they can touch upon long after they're out of the program. That makes me think, because the, the mentor aspect is very interesting. Um, I mean, you tell me if, if I'm off base here, but generally speaking, would you say that even the mentors that are paired up with these families, maybe they wouldn't run in the same circles otherwise? And so that is kind of a crossover um, that you guys are creating that wouldn't naturally be there um, in normal society? I think that's a safe assumption. Our mentors would tell you that they've learned as much as their mentees have learned um, because you know they come from a variety of walks of life. They have varying degrees of crossover with persons of low income. And what they've realized is that how, as citizens and voters, for example, we sometimes create systems that are compounding the low-income person's existence as they are helping it. So it's been very interesting to see sort of the light bulbs go on, you know, because we kind of, we don't live that. We kind of can have judgments about, well, you just have to do this. It's easy. And then they realize, oh my gosh, they had to go step and this step and this step. And then the entity lost their paperwork and they had to go back and do it again. And so it's... They've had some insights in terms of it's not just choice that's sometimes keeping low-income families where they are. It's also the fact that we sometimes have systems that aren't necessarily supportive of them in ways that they should be. And so it's been interesting to hear some of the, I'm going to talk to so-and-so because I think we could do this better as, as a systemic approach to supporting people. What would an example of that be? Like what would be something... Um that wasn't built the way that it should be to be supportive of those folks? Um, one of the things that's gotten a lot of conversation is what we in human services call the benefits cliff. So if I'm a person of low income and it's documented that, uh, especially if maybe I'm a single parent, I've only got my income coming in, um, that I may qualify for some food assistance, for example. Um, it's called SNAP on the federal level. Many people call it food stamps from the old days. But it's, it's a debit card that allows you to buy certain foods to make sure your, your children in particular are getting something nutritious. Um, if I follow my resiliency plan, finish a credential, 
get a job that's now going to pay me 50 cents more an hour than I was making before. For some families, it means they fall right off the cliff. They're cut out of all those programs. So even though they're getting 50 cents more an hour, no way in value replaces the value that they were getting. So I've heard several of the mentors say, we need to figure out a way out. How do we do a a step down that makes sense. Yes, we would want them to become independent and not reliant on government services. All of us have that goal. Um, but if it's a family has to make a choice between do I take the promotion and the 50 cents an hour and actually end up being financially worse off, and another thing that sometimes triggers uh, a tough decision for families is if they have subsidized childcare. Childcare is human, humongously expensive, especially in our community. We're one of the most expensive in Washington up here. Um, and even though they might still qualify for what's known as working connections child care, child care support for families who are in the workforce, um, a modest increase in compensation may mean that your copay that you have to pay to have that child care provided could spike several hundred dollars. So I think one of the things that it's done as sort of education for our mentors is to get them to see that this all has to fit together. People have to have better habitudes, have a plan, stick to it, and we also have to make sure that just when they start building some momentum in their lives, we're not pulling the rug out, out from underneath them so quickly. As far as um, making choices that, that you would say make progress for your own independence financially, those can backfire as far as your overall financial mm -hmm. picture. And so those are some things that the mentors are realizing. And so that's cool that those conversations are happening. And, you know, and sometimes it's as simple as the mentor saying, okay, yes, you're going to have to pay more for your child care because I do want you to take that promotion and get a little bit more money coming in. Let's talk about other ways that you can make that up. Well, maybe did you file the targeted jobs tax credit last year when you filed your taxes because as a working person with children and you're living below a certain income level, that's a program that is not only something you can get every paycheck, but it also could be a, a refundable amount at the end of your tax year. So making sure that Yes, there might be some systemic hurdles that you have to get over, but there might be some other systemic opportunities that you can grab that will soften the blow that doesn't necessarily derail you from following your career track. Cool. What are some of your biggest challenges for the parents when they're first introduced to the program? I would say there are three. One is sort of a fatalism or a defeatism because they feel like they've tried so many different times in so many different ways when it came to money and they're this close to just giving it up. And, and to get them to believe in themselves that it's not magic. You know, there's a science here of what you need to do to use your resources well. We all, and a, and a budget is where it begins. It's amazing how many people function without a budget in their life. <laughs> um, and being able to see and document with your mentor on paper, wait, I do have enough money. If I time this a little bit differently, if I make a few decisions differently, um, we can make it. I think that's one learning that has to happen, and that's very much internal to the person. Um, I think the second thing that people learn is that by being open about things, you know, when things are not going well, we maybe all tend to sort of hunker down and shut people out. The fact of the matter is, if we can build social connections, whether it's through a mentor or through, there's a great bonding has happened between the families that have been enrolled in this peer to peer. So they become cheerleaders for each other. We celebrate their successes, and the others say, ooh, you finished that goal. Um, and that those people can be sounding boards as well as your mentor because they have the empathy having lived through similar circumstances as you. So don't self-isolate, I think, is lesson number two. 
And then thirdly, you got to have goals. You know, it's so easy in this society to get pulled in umpteen directions if you don't know where you're going. And, and that's when the temptation to be a little too spontaneous, a little too instant gratification comes in. But if you say, I want to have a car, or I want to have a more reliable car, or I want to be able to save so that my child gets to go to camp next summer, you got to have something that's sort of driving your habitudes. And if you just let it be whatever blows in the wind today, it's going to be much harder to stay disciplined on the things that you have done through your resiliency plan and through the, the learnings with your mentor. So conf- building your confidence in yourself, knowing that you can be capable when it comes to money, having a circle of support, your mentor and beyond, that allows you to stay on track, but also knowing where you're going, I think are the three things that most of the young people or parents coming into this program have lacked but now they're leaving with all three you said that the number one is that they have felt like they've failed enough times and they just feel like well this isn't going to help because nothing that i've ever done has helped before Mm -hmm. and would you say that the root of the success or the the cause of the the thing that's different in what you're offering it's the incentives. Nobody else was giving them an incentive to do anything for themselves before, which is an interesting, mm-hmm. it's an interesting part of the program if you think about it because it's like, well, this is helping you, but I'm going to help you help you. It's, it's kind of, uh, I guess, yeah, go into, the, go into the, the incentives a little bit more. Um. There have been across the nation for years something called um, individual development accounts. It was actually a government-recognized program that they tried with uh, recipients of public assistance, but it was a isolated thing. That if you got a job, you saved some money, the IDA, the individual development account, would match some of your savings. Is typically how the program worked. But people were left to their own devices. There was no training necessarily that went along with it. There was no mentor there to guide you along the way. And it was simply a dollar-for-dollar kind of match. The beauty of the, the resiliency plans that the Project Exit participants do is that, A, it breaks down their goals into doable steps. And some of the incentives are, are basically related to staying on track with your goals, not just that you put money in the bank so we're going to match it, but that you've developed a new uh, habitude here, you've stopped doing that issue that's been a barrier to you for years. So it's it's sort of reinforcing the change that's happening in them as people. Um, and, you know, we all need at least a pat on the back. Um, but when you're struggling of low income to know that I've earned these incentives and they're sitting in the bank available to me, and we've let folks use some of their incentives along the way. The last one that I signed off on was recently that the person had cleared things up financially, started some savings, earned some incentives, had gotten a different job, and car broke down with a massively expensive repair bill. She, because she had saved and a mentor working with her said, I can afford this percentage of the bill in order to keep the car going so I can get to work and keep everything moving forward, but I can't cover the whole thing. She, with her mentor, negotiated with the repair place, can I make the last close to 40% of the bill in three payments rather than all at once. I'm going to guarantee you the first one because I'm going to ask Project X to let me withdraw from my incentive account enough to make the first one, and I've got a budget plan with my mentor to get the other two done. 
The company, fortunately, was kind and thoughtful and said, we're with you. They signed off on it. We made the first payment out of her incentive account so that she could keep the, the thing going. And then since then, with her mentor and her budget, has made the rest of it happen. We're trying to make people believe in themselves to have the resiliency to move through the hiccups that all of us face in life um, and to come out the other end stronger and better. This program um, really kind of pull, like it seeks to pull you out of, of habits and attitudes and it's, and it seeks to, um, and it's, well, I guess going back to the incentives, I think the thing that I like about it that I didn't really understand when I first learned about the incentives is that it's not like a transactional thing. It's not like a, oh, you get your gold star for the day and that's $100. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's reinforcing long-term habits. Um, it's reinforcing like a lesson that's been learned rather than the kind of being a transactional mm-hmm. thing which I can see that being um, different than if you were, than if somebody were to go into the program and be like, oh, really, you're going to pay me to do some, something like this? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's very different than, than some, you don't, I wouldn't think that you would go into the program for the money. I mean, it certainly piques people's interest when you say you could leave this program with a savings account because many folks have not had that in their life because they just never felt like they could get one created. Um, but most people, what they want to get rid of is the sense of failure when it comes to money. And um, I think that's a large swath of the American population, frankly, um, who has got caught in a variety of circles that they feel like they're going round and round and round and never quite get off the miracle round when it comes to money. Um, and so the, we're going to have some great marketers for the next round of this program because the pilot participants said, where do you want me to go? I'll tell them what, how I used to think and what, you know, what line I used to feed myself as an excuse, and now I know the way forward. So. Wow. Yeah, to, to just feel like you're a failure with money and to have a program like this, to be able to pull you into a different line of thinking, like that is not an easy thing to do. I think if people haven't come from poverty, they also underestimate how tiring it can be. You know, if you um, only have the skills or the credentials to get jobs that maybe don't even employ you full-time, so you have two or three of them to try to make ends meet, so you're working weird hours or not the same hours every week. Um, you have a car that you kind of hold your breath that in the morning when you crank her over that it's going to start and get you there. Um, you've still got to come home from whatever hours you've worked and try to hold, keep the household together in terms of the daily chores and the weekly chores and hopefully spend some time with your child reading to him or her, et cetera, et cetera. It, people have a finite amount of energy. And um, this, I think, what the one of the biggest rewards they see is I am uh, eventually going to recoup some of my energy because I'm not going to have to keep fighting the same battles that I've been fighting most of my life because they won't be haunting me anymore. And I'll have the peace of mind of knowing that I've got some money in the bank should life throw me a curveball, we can get by it and keep going. It's almost like the small things that don't cause any stress for somebody who's like, oh yeah, I got that. Mm -hmm. It's like the small things in life take energy. And so when you are trying to conquer a big thing, you're like, I don't have have it in me Mm -hmm. for that. You look up and think, wow, that is one tall hill. There's no way I'm getting up it. 
because I'm tired already. I haven't even started to climb. Um, what are some examples of goals that the families make? Um, a lot of them begin with debt reduction. They're either carrying consumer debt, utility debt, medical debt. Um, and, and again, it's some of that habitudes. Um, it's not just about how much you earn and where do you spend it. It's also saying, okay, if we get your child, to, if you have insurance, we get your child to their well child exam, it might identify things that we can catch early and fix, as opposed to having that panicked weekend, 104 fever, let's go to the emergency room, which then results in a big bill that we can't really afford. Um, so it, habitude. So um, it's amazing how many people are carrying payday, payday loan debt, credit card debt, medical debt, utility debt, and that's where you say, oh, I get why you're throwing in the towel because it looks pretty darn insurmountable when you take all of that together and then you look at what your paycheck is every two weeks. Um, so just the liberation of getting out from underneath some of that debt or restructuring some of it has been very useful to most of the families. Um, taking that sense of I'm capable once I've begun to see that I can clear the decks in terms of my finances to saying, okay, but to really earn as much money as I think I want to have for my family's well-being, I've got to finish that credential or go back to school or get a certificate of some kind. Um, that's sort of the next generative approach that people take. It's like, okay, I can manage what I've got, but what I've got is still not going to be enough. I need to earn some more. And so we have we had two people, um, one finished a college degree, one finished a, a certificate program to be a medical assistant while she was in Project Exit. Um, it's simply saying, again, I've got goals. i got to keep the train rolling forward here. Um, and that and then talking with my children about money differently, I think, are some of the most common ones that people have had in the program so far. Um, you mentioned earlier um, that the first five years of a child's life is, like, extremely formative. Now, what happens to a child if they don't have, if they have stress, if they don't have nourishment, if they don't have support, if they have some of these things that the program is trying to address? I would encourage um, any listener to go to Harvard's Center for the Developing Child. They have a variety of sort of YouTube-length videos that document what happens to the young human brain if they're living in an environment of what we call toxic stress. It can be toxic stress because the family is so poor I'm not getting regular nutrition the way I need to, or because there's constant um, emotional abuse or physical violence going on in the home. Anything that is somehow um, changing the chemistry of my brain, because we are all animals that respond to things biochemically when they happen to us. And um, the research has shown over and over again that the typical development of the brain is altered when there is toxic stress surrounding that child. The other thing that we know is that interactions with a loving caregiver from birth on determines how ready you're going to be for school. And it's not that a parent has to be a highly educated person, but they have to provide consistency of love and support. They have to use a lot of vocabulary with their child, which is some of the things we also reinforce with the parents in the program, is that your child is basically a blank slate when they start. You've got basically 2,000 days to maximize their brain development. So anytime you're interacting with them 
even if you're doing things with them, visually describing and verbally describing what you're doing helps build their vocabulary and it connects things in their brain. And it starts when they're an infant, even though they're not talking back to you, other than maybe a coo, looking them in the eye, using words is how their, their brain begins to map how it's going to handle information and what connects to what. And those are the millions of synapses that happen in that first five years. And those videos do a really good job of showing what healthy support and interaction does to the brain's development and how the brain is not healthy if the child is exposing is exposed to many more negative things rather than positive things. I think I think shaking poverty and the habitudes that contribute to it um, for many people living in it and maybe even some other people is sort of the human equivalent of trigonometry or calculus. We look at it saying, oh man, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't think I'm ever going to get it. You know, why do I have to do this? But once they realize that by breaking it down and doing it in specific steps, that there's a lot of science to it that makes it predictable. And yes, there's some art, some psychology that has to go along with it as well. Um, that which seemed totally unrealistic for me now is within reach. And now within reach, I've done it. Now I just have to keep doing it. Uh, and that's the the pattern that we want to see develop in people's lives. That we're going to give you the intense supports for up to two years to show you can do it. But ultimately, it comes back to you to have that belief in yourself. Shot you keep on doing it to shape this child's future. And if that means working tirelessly with the parents or the adult role models in that child's life to develop some new habitudes that stay out of the way and support the child's healthy development and learning, then we need to do that because we can't give them inoculation education. We can't send them to preschool for four or six and a half hours a day and send them back to dysfunction and expect that learning to stick. So it's a comprehensive approach to making sure that kids whose odds are going to be pretty long if we don't get them off to a really solid start and give their family enough support to be the kind of environment that every child should have, um, then I think we're wasting money. Thanks for listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a community-driven conversation highlighting individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ. Specifically stated otherwise, WeQ does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement.